0: Our sermon text comes from Psalm 17, a prayer of David. Hear a just cause, O Yahweh, attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from, my, from lips free of deceit. From your presence let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. You have tried my heart, you have visited me by night. You have tested me and you will find nothing. I have purposed what my mouth will not transgress. With regard to the works of man, by the word of your lips, I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths, my feet have not slipped. I call upon you for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me, hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love, O savior of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. Keep me as the apple of your eye, Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. They close their hearts to pity. With their mouths they speak arrogantly. They have now surrounded our steps. They have set their eyes to cast us to the ground. He is like a lion eager to tear as a young lion lurking in ambush. Arise, O Yahweh, confront him, subdue him. Deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword, from men by your hand, O Yahweh, from men of the world whose portion is in this life. You fill their wombs with treasure, they are satisfied with children, and they leave their abundance to their infants. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. This is the word of the Lord.
1: The world longs for justice. Our conversations are filled with phrases that refer to justice. We seek poetic justice, social justice, reparations, instant karma, payback, When it goes, what goes around comes around. We're most often concerned with setting things right for ourselves and our own reputations. Or we want someone in authority to set things right. If only my, insert your favorite candidate, were in office, then our problems of injustice would go away. This psalm provides the answer to this question. How do we respond when our reputation is challenged or justice seems completely out of reach? Psalm 17 is composed as a prayer of David. Many of the psalms include words of prayer, but this is the first psalm written specifically as a prayer in the book of Psalms. David prays as a defendant pleading his case before a judge. David is being accused before men, and he feels powerless to defend himself. He pleads that God would be his judge and make things right. Through Psalm 17, we are going to learn the foundation of true innocence, the loving kindness of God to his people, the nature of our true enemy, and the victory of faith. The psalm opens with the plea, Hear a just cause, O Yahweh. Attend to my cry. Give ear to the prayer from my lips free of deceit. To set the stage, David asks that God would hear and attend. David says that his cause is just. His prayer is specifically directed to Yahweh, the God of covenant. God's promise in his covenant with Abraham was to bless those who blessed him, and would curse those who dishonored him. In Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Later, God revealed himself to Moses as I am who I am, the self-existing God who initiates covenant with his people. From the beginning, God has revealed himself as a God of justice. God is not passive. He is active. He is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. David is appealing to this covenant God for justice. We're going to explore more of the covenant in a later section. But in verse 2, David pleads to God as the judge, From your presence let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. It is from God's presence that David expects judgment or vindication. David uses words that echo the song of Moses In Deuteronomy 32, God promises to vindicate his people, and he does so by swearing by his name. Verse 36 reads, For Yahweh will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants when he sees that their power is gone and there is none remaining, bond or free. See now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive, I wound and I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. For I lift up my hand to heaven and swear, as I live forever. This song is the foundation of David's argument. Yahweh lifts up his hand to to heaven and swears an oath by himself that he will vindicate his people. There is nothing higher that God can swear by than his own name. David takes hold of this promise and brings it before God. As I mentioned earlier, there are many earthly authorities that promise us justice, But David bypasses all of those and goes straight to the the fount and the source of true justice. When David reminds God of his promise, does this mean that God has forgotten his promise? No, not at all. But God wants us to know these promises and include such promises in our prayers so that we can be better schooled as to who God is. David's cry, let your eyes behold the right is a reminder to himself and to us that other men, other people, can be um, deceived by lies and smooth treachery, but God cannot. God knows the guilty and the innocent before we even pray. Now, as evangelicals, verses 3 through 5 can be difficult for our ears. I'm going to read them in totality, and then we'll look at them closely. You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me and you will find nothing. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. With regard to the works of man, by the words of your lips, I have avoided the way of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped." This may sound astounding, but David is claiming nothing less than absolute innocence in both word and deed. He says that he has both avoided the way of the violent and attended to, or kept, the path of God. We know that David's life was far from perfect. He sinned, and some of his sins were terrible. He committed adultery with the wife of one of his faithful warriors, then hatched a plan of conspiracy to murder one of his best friends, the same man, and cover it up with the complicity of another friend. So David certainly cannot attest to a sinless life. What is his basis for innocence, then? How do we pray like David? I'm going to make the case in three ways. First, in the particular case, David can defend himself against a wrongful accusation by wicked men. David has personally been accused of some sinner crime and he is attesting to his innocence of this specific allegation. The phrase, let my vindication come, demonstrates that David is seeking a dismissal of this accusation. But there is more to the psalm than David's personal plea. How can David even expect to be heard by a perfect God when he is such a miserable worm? He is calling on God to absolve him. But because of his sin, he should have no case. Jesus said in Matthew, For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why is David confident pleading a case before a perfect law and a perfect judge? David cannot make his own case on his own standing. He needs an advocate, and so do we. We'll look closely at this advocate in the next section. But lastly, David is claiming to be blameless. This is a concept that is most troubling to our modern ears. Blameless is the condition of the already redeemed sinner who is walking by faith and growing in grace. David explains in verse 5 that he has purposed to walk upon God's path of righteousness. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. It is not David's own path of righteousness that he walks, but the path provided for him by God. In verse 4, this encapsulates David's point in this section. He says, with regards to the works of man, there are two ways that a person can live. They can either live by the words of God's lips or they can pursue the way of violence. One path leads to life and the other to destruction. The concept of a blameless path is common in all of Scripture. It refers to the direction of one's life. Our lives, like David's, must be oriented towards further sanctification and godly obedience because of our redemption. We must lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely and run with endurance the race set before us. God doesn't just save us from our sin, but he conforms us in the sanctification of the Spirit into the image of his Son for obedience to Jesus Christ. The prophet Isaiah warns those who remain in unconfessed sins that they have made a separation between themselves and God and God will not hear their prayers. Isaiah says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. David wants his case to be heard. He expects his case to be heard, and he can expect it on the basis of three things. He is innocent of the accusation. He stands on the basis of a righteous advocate, which we address next. And he w- is walking a life of repentance and sanctification unto obedience. So David cries out 12 times in this, in this uh, prayer. And he pleads with God for the two things. He wants God to hear his need, and he wants God to attend to that need. This is where we need to talk about God's covenant For the people of Israel, their salvation was very real. Uh, Israel is the captive, as the captive nation in Egypt, is a symbol of slavery to sin. When the people of Israel cried out to God to hear their cry for rescue, when the people of Israel cried out to God, he heard their cry for rescue and remembered his covenant with them. David knows this God as his own redeemer. He is confident that that same God will accomplish his own deliverance. Look at verse 6. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me, hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love. You see how David calls upon God. He states with certainty that God will actually answer his prayer. And he calls upon God to wondrously show his loving kindness. David calls upon Yahweh as the God of perfect justice to keep his covenant promise and work out justice on the earth. And then he calls upon the Savior, the promised seed, to save him. O Savior of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. The word Savior is a Hebrew word, Yeshua. It means Savior, deliverer. It is the root of the name Joshua and the Greek equivalent, Jesus. Not only does God have the power and authority to save those who seek refuge, but God has promised to do so for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. David isn't just interested in a one-time temporal salvation here. Look at verse 8. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. David wants the continual and perpetual protection of a mother eagle over her eaglets. This is another reference to the Song of Moses, where Moses says, in the voice of God, like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions, the Lord alone guided him. The picture drawn by Moses and reiterated by David here is that the work of the Holy Spirit guiding and protecting one's young as the object of cherished delight. This is the protection that David needs when he says, keep me, hide me from the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. So what is the foundation of David's innocence? He is relying on the Savior of God. His trust and faith is in the coming Messiah. His advocate is the promised seed who has a strong right hand and will crush the wicked." The recognition of David's adversaries calls attention back to his accusers. Remember the scene I drew at the beginning. David is standing in a courtroom pleading his case. He wants deliverance from those who are slandering him. Verse 10 gives us a clear picture of these men. They close their heart to pity. With their mouths they speak arrogantly. These men aren't seeking a resolution. They aren't willing to settle out of court, so to speak. They are out for blood. They offer no terms and they take no quarter. Now look closely at verse 11. They have surrounded our steps. David links himself here with other saints fighting on the field of battle. They set their eyes to cast us to the ground. This is the picture of a wild beast who lowers its head and rushes forward against its foe to gore them with its horns. They are seeking, the saints are walking on the path of righteousness. They are seeking to live after the way of life, but they are confronted by enemies on every side. Notice in verse 12 that David changes from multiple enemies they to a singular enemy. He is like a lion eager to tear as a young lion lurking in ambush. This is the broad stage of the battlefield being brought into view. The earlier verses, one through 10, depict the appeal of David before the heavenly throne, the bar of justice, where he's crying out to God, and he points back to all the enemies that have come around him. But here, David turns his gaze and looks upon the earth, and he says, he sees it as as a war table, where enemies and armies are encircling, and the leader of the evil army is positioned as a lion eager to lay waste to the people of God. This lion is the slanderer, the adversary, commonly called Satan and the devil. He is the father of lies, and the apostle John calls him the accuser of the saints. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and principalities, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. As Christians, we recognize that all false accusations have their root in this battle, and we must fit ourselves for that fight. God warned Cain at the very beginning that if he did not do well, the enemy, sin, is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. David recognizes that his strength, or the strength required, is more than he can accomplish by his own effort. He understands that his own standing, is in the, his own sin stands in the way of his ultimate victory over injustice. This is what moves him to prayer. We must cry out to God in prayer, because if we do not, we also will be ruled over by sin. So David finishes the psalm with a final appeal to God for him to act. Arise, O Yahweh, confront him, subdue him. David knows the power of God is greater than he who is in the world. David's own strength is insufficient, but God's strength is absolutely and completely sufficient. David sees the violence done by wicked men, and David knows his own sin crouches at the door. There is real damage and there is real evil that happens on the earth. Yet David does not fear. Instead, he trusts that God will deliver his soul from the wicked. Ultimately, David's final appeal is looking to the future. He does not expect God to act upon David's timeline. He trusts God to act in the time that is right. David identifies the portion of the inheritance of the wicked. The hard reality from our earthly standpoint is that we see that justice seems not to get done we see that evil still is in the world and that those who do this still receive life and sustenance from God. Fallen mankind is still dependent on God for life. David says, you fill their womb with treasure. They are satisfied with children and they leave their abundance to their infants. He knows that from God, the wicked receive a portion in this life, but that is all they receive. The wicked do not have a lasting legacy beyond this, nor do they have a solid plea for justice. Their life is a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. David contrasts this little season of life with the greater inheritance found in God's salvation. David's prayer closes with a remarkable statement. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. Moses longed to see the face of God but was not able to withstand the perfection of God's glory and majesty. David says that he will stand face to face with God in righteousness. This is a return to the original theme of David's opening petition. Hear a just cause, O Yahweh. The word just and the word righteous are the same word in Hebrew. God will hear and attend to a just cause. He is the God of justice. He commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness when he will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing whether good or evil there's a recognition in this prayer that we have not reached the goal david's prayer is heard by god but he cannot see him yet there will come a day when we just like david will see the lord there There won't be any more peering through a glass dimly, but then face to face. Now we know in part. Then we shall know fully, even as we have been fully known. Sweeter than justice now is the face of God who is justice himself. The final hope of David is that he will awaken in the new creation. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. David expects to be rescued, our sorry, resurrected in a glorified body after the likeness of God. Jesus did not die and rise again that we may never die, but that we might die and be raised incorruptible unto life everlasting, wholly satisfied with the justice of God, who poured out the wrath that we deserved upon his own son. So as I conclude... Let me leave you with a piece of application that addresses each of these four points that we covered. David was confident in the foundation of true innocence. He was thoroughly humble before God. When we approach God in prayer, we must do so in a manner of creaturely humility. Our prayers should address God as the self-existent creator who has shown fatherly affection upon us as his children. Only in a proper understanding of God we have a proper understanding of our sin. As we consider the loving kindness of God, we should saturate our minds with the promises of God for his people. The Puritans developed a robust prayer life that resulted in a robust life of obedience. The gospel that saves sinners also produces justice. The promises of God's deliverance give... The promises of God's deliverance give us comfort in times of injustice. Then the enemy that seeks to destroy us will go after your character, your families, your livelihood, your faith. This should not surprise us. We need to get good on waiting on the Lord. When your reputation is tarnished, what is your knee-jerk reaction? Don't rush forward to demonstrate your own innocence to the world. Don't run off to social media and draft an epistle of self-righteousness. There may be a time to make your case before a God-appointed authority. But the first place you should go is to where David went. Pray to the God of justice. And finally, as we consider the victory of faith that overcomes the world, the Baptist Catechism has a beautiful response on the Lord's Prayer. The question is, what do we pray for in the second petition of the Lord's Prayer? The answer, in the second petition, which is, thy kingdom come, we pray that Satan's kingdom may be destroyed, and that the kingdom of grace may be advanced, ourselves and others brought into it and kept in it, and that the kingdom of glory may be hastened. May this be the victory and our hope that we pray for. Bow with me in prayer. Most loving Father, we humbly ask that you would look down from heaven in great mercy upon your whole church and every member in it. Be favorable to Zion and build up the walls of Jerusalem. Look with an eye of pity on the great ruins and desolation of your church. Heal up the wounds in all the nations. Regard us as your own flock. Be gentle as your own family. Care for it as your own vineyard Love it as your own spouse. Bless it with your grace, guide it with your spirit, and defend it always with your mighty power. Scatter, confound, and overthrow any force that fights against the church, and have mercy on the church in this land. Bless us with true faith. Deal with us as with those who come after us, in your grace and favor, for the sake of your great name, and for the sake of our only mediator, Jesus Christ, to whom be all praise and glory, with you and the Holy Spirit, now and forevermore.
0: Amen.